Hello, welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter four of The Amber Spyglass, Amma and the Bats. I'm a less sad girl than I was last time. I don't know about you. Yay! Yeah, same. <laughs> it was a struggle last week. Everybody that was listening and might have been concerned about us. We are okay. We're, we're doing okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I feel like my general persona is definitely just spooky sad girl anyway. But, like, I'm definitely, like, out of my sad girl feelings for now. For now. I mean, super spooky, super sad is still a vibe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I am thoroughly enjoying Spooky Month, I have to say. I have been either wearing or doing something spooky every day so far. Nice. Have you ever seen The Haunting, by the way? Based on The Haunting of Hill House, the book, but it was in 1999 and it's got Owen Wilson and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Catherine Zeta-Jones. I have not. I have not seen it. <laughs> I guess you've been on a spooky movie kick. <laughs> Zach made me watch it and it's fucking terrible. If I'd have watched it in the 90s when it came out, I would have loved it because it's really like campy horror, very like haunted mansion vibes in the sense of like the, because obviously, you know, the CG wasn't great at that time and it's just like I think I would have really enjoyed it but like watching it now you're just like lol and it's based on The Haunting of Hill House the book which I have read and really really enjoyed and then obviously there's The Haunting of Hill House TV show um so like all the characters are have got like the same name so like Nell and uh, Theo and all that kind of stuff but yeah it's hilarious although um Catherine Zeta-Jones plays a bisexual character which is for 1999 I think that's pretty decent yeah was she actually playing a nuanced bisexual or was it just so that they could have some girl-on-girl action in a horror film? That's the question. <laughs> they don't really go into it that much. When she gets there, she says, like, my boyfriend doesn't like that my girlfriend does this or whatever. So, And she's very, like, sexual towards the other female character. So it's not the best representation. But obviously I was just there being like, Kiss, Kiss, just, just sleep together. You'll like it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> There's also a really old like black and white film based on The Haunting of Hill House as well. I um, really, really enjoyed the book and obviously loved the TV show, but I did like the book. It's very spooky, very, um, yeah, it's just really good. It's really short as well. I wonder if there's a good audio book or audio adaptation, because maybe what I need to be doing is filling my ears with spooky podcasts and spooky audio books for the rest of October. A spooky audiobook would be really fun. You know what you should... I don't know if you've read it before or I know you've seen the play, but like The Woman in Black, the book, that would be great on audiobook, I think. Going to have to poke my friend Ella, who I definitely don't share an audible account with. <laughs> That's not a thing. What? Who? <laughs> Fuck Bezos. What? <laughs> yeah, we alleviate the guilt of fucking Amazon by sharing the account. And so I should, mostly she's got some sci-fi stuff, but maybe I'll persuade her to get some spooky books that I can piggyback listen to. We've also watched Midnight Mass. It did not do it for me. I don't know if I might persevere just because I'm curious. I don't know. There's some interesting aspects to it, definitely. 
but I had a real issue with the fucking dialogue because it's like every 10 seconds somebody's monologuing and like it's just really difficult to like keep your fucking interest peaked and like to pay attention when someone's just talking for like 10 fucking minutes and then the other person does another monologue i saw a really funny tiktok and it was this guy and it was like everyone in midnight mass and it was like somebody saying like can you pass the peanut butter and then the guy going my grandma used to love peanut butter and she used to put it on every single piece of bread when i was younger and like just goes off in this massive monologue and i'm like that is literally midnight mass brilliant it's just like it just wasn't for me but I can and also I didn't grow up religious so I can imagine that a lot of people that grew up religious and then maybe aren't so religious anymore um, would you know latch onto it and like find bits to like really enjoy in it in that sense but for me I was just like no no maybe I'll get it watched as a background show instead of a full attention show uh, we've just started watching, which is a full attention show because we're watching it with subtitles, Squid Game. Yes, I've been told so many times about this. Our friend Matt keeps telling me to watch it and I really, really want to watch it. We're like two episodes in, definitely hooked, definitely into it. Started trying to watch Dubbed because we were like, we're watching it just before we go to bed, we'll we be too sleepy for subtitled and could, couldn't handle the dub. It was just a bit too off. And so we are going subtitles. Actually, I've forgotten how much I kind of get used to reading subtitles. I think I was talking to Liam about this and he was talking about that he tried it with the dub and he was saying that like the main character is supposed to be like a bit of a weeby guy and then like the dub is like really like macho man and it's like it doesn't really fit. At one point Johnny was like is that the voice of the guy that does Bob's Burgers? <laughs> oh, and no. it's, it's not but it's that vibe it's very similar uh, tonally. But yeah no much better watching it so but I understand that like that's such like an accessibility thing, like subtitles versus dubbed. Like, it, and some people need to have it dubbed, and then also with the subtitles in English as well. And like, it's you've just got to do whatever's most accessible for you. I do not appreciate you. Just you have to watch the original. You have to watch the original subtitled. Otherwise, you're not getting the full effect. It's like it's totally it's totally personal preference. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but I think I'll probably just go straight for the subtitles just because I've heard bad things about the dub. But yeah, I keep meaning to watch it, and I'm also wanting to rewatch Hill House as well. So yeah, just lots of spooky things going on. Speaking of spooky things, we are going to be trying to sort out either in October or November, depending <laughs> on when the heck everybody is free enough, a spooky watch along with our patrons, because we did a, a Hocus Pocus watch along all together last Halloween and it was super fun. It was. I really enjoyed it and I want to do more of those. And we usually go for spooky rather than scary because I'm a scaredy cat, but we might try and get one of those organised. And also we're coming up to the final group watch along of the finale of season two of His Dark Materials, which is coming up next month sometime. Yeah, when I, when we decide to put the poll in the Patreon. Hopefully by this time the, this episode has come out, I've done that. <laughs> Fingers crossed. But also, you know, now is a perfect time to join the Patreon, vote on when you want to watch the final episode with us all together, re-binge the entirety of the first and second season so that you're all caught up with us, and then come and chat, because it's super fun. I love our watch-alongs. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, and we were thinking about maybe doing something, because we've been watching two episodes at a time, and obviously we're only on the last one, so we were talking about doing something, something afterwards, something special, but we don't know what yet, so... I'm gunning for Paddington, but, you know, that's just me. <laughs> I would love that. But we have to do Paddington and Paddington 2 because Paddington 2 is better. Maybe we'll do the first one and then we'll set schedule Paddington 2 as like a Christmas watch along because it is, it's not 
particularly a festive film but it is very wholesome so that makes it festive <laughs> yeah that's true i also would love I'm, i mean i'm just naming all the films i want to watch with our patrons now but i really want to watch muppets christmas carol because there's been a lot of chat about muppets christmas yes. carol in the discord and yes. i fucking love that film so much <laughs> yes i will definitely be watching that more than once at christmas so. it's not christmas unless you wrap your presents while watching muppets christmas carol or gremlins or nightmare before christmas like that's that's it I would like to throw The Grinch in there because The Grinch is one of my favourite Christmas films. Anyway, it's not Christmas yet. <laughs> it's not. We, we're too, we need to get spooky, not festive. Hey, Faye. Hi. What would your demon have been this week? Well, I think that we've both gone down the same route here in that this chapter has scarred me for life as a bat lover. So I am going to go for... A vampire bat. Nice. Spooky and cute. <laughs> yeah, I did not look into vampire bats at all. I just thought that, uh, I was just going to say bat, and then I thought there's a lot of different species of bats. So I went vampire bat because it's Halloween month and it's spooky. Nice. What about you? Well, great minds think alike mm -hmm. <laughs> because I also went bat. However, I was like, I'm spooky, but I'm also stressed and it obviously made me think of the little bat that let me send it to you on WhatsApp right now. So there's a meme, it's a little bat, somebody's holding a microphone up to it and it says, I've had a very long day and I'm very small and I have no money so you can imagine the kind of stress that I'm under. I love that meme so much. That is very much my mood right now. <laughs> um, but it's also spooky because it's a bat and I think that that bat is a pipistrelle, which they're super tiny and super fluffy and really, really cute. So yes, I think a little bat clinging onto my woolly jumper now that it's woolly jumper season and being small and stressed with me while I'm small and stressed and freaking out about uh, getting prepped for events and stuff is uh, is perfect. I just love bats. They're so cute. Little sky puppies. <laughs> oh, they really are. Oh. oh, God, what a great chapter for two bat lovers. Literally, last chapter, when you were like, oh, Amara and the bats, I love bats. And I was like, oh, oh, Faye, oh, no, she doesn't remember. <laughs> I know. And then I read the chapter and then obviously I spent the day at yours like last week when we did the watch along and that we were talking about it. And then that night I had a horrible dream that I ate a bat. I'm like, who am I? Ozzy Osbourne? Like, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who'd have thought Ozzy Osbourne and Little Monkey Prick would give off the same energy? <laughs> mm, mm -hmm. Big bat eating energy. Do not yeah. love to see it. <laughs> Last chapter, Serafina found Yorick and told him about the death of our beloved Lee. Yorick travelled into the Chittagatsi world to find Lee and honoured his death by eating him. Roger and Lyra worried about Mrs Coulter in their continued dream conversation. In this chapter, we follow Amma as she finds a healer and a cure for the enchanted sleeper which she intends to take to Mrs Coulter. After arriving early and sneaking inside the cave, Amma hides from Coulter and the monkey and witnesses the truth of what Mrs C is really doing to Lyra. Amma and her demon escape and vow to return and rescue Lyra. Back in the dreamscape with Lyra and Roger, Lyra realises that she is asleep and fears that she may never wake up. Well, 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 well. Well, indeed. What a chapter. What a chapter. If you 
are a bat or like bats, maybe don't listen to this one. <laughs> yeah, but if we have any bat listeners, it's not for you. <laughs> yes. Would you like to have a guess at what you think the picture at the top of the uh, chapter would be? I really hope it's not a bat. Is it a bat? It's not a bat. It's not a bat. Ooh, a, po- a potion? I don't know. No, it's not like a, it's not my favourite one this week. I think it's supposed to be like the monastery where the uh, healer is. But it's just like a bunch of like buildings. Oh, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Not my fave. Well, the poem at the beginning is... Emily Dickinson. Hi, babes. Yeah, our fave, Emily Dickinson. I don't think she particularly titles her poem, so it doesn't really have like a, a proper title. It's poem 369 in um, one of the collections of the... Well, one of the main collections of her bodies of work. And most people refer to it as she lay as if at play because most of her poems, the way they're collected, people use the first line as a way of identifying them because I don't think she gives a lot of them clear titles. Could be wrong about that. I'm not an Emily Dickinson scholar. <laughs> and also, uh, funnily enough, this poem in particular is a little bit tricky to find stuff on because I don't know that it's one of her most famous poems. And in fact, on one of the websites I was looking on, um, in the comments section of it, one of the things, one of the comments was, I've been trying to find this poem for ages. It's in the, it's in the, at the beginning of a chapter in the His Dark Materials novels and I really love the segment. So there's HDM fans out there that are looking and discovering more about Emily Dickinson poems because of this little snippet, which is lovely. So the segment is, uh, that's used is actually the first, what is it, paragraph of a poem? The first stanza? Yeah, oh, stanza, yeah, yeah. I mean, I should know this, but I don't, I forgot. So I'll read out the whole thing, but the snippet is just the very first bit. She lay as if at play, her life had leaped away, intending to return, but not so soon. Her merry arms half dropped, as if in lull of sport, an instant had forgot the trick to start. Her dancing eyes ajar, as if the owners were still sparkling through, for fun at you. Her mourning at the door, devising, I am sure, to force her to sleep, so light, so deep. So, it is thought from the websites that I visited, which were cliffnotes.com and poemhunter.com. So the general topic of this poem is the body of a recently dead girl shows such vivid signs of its recent vitality that it is hard not to believe that she is merely asleep and will soon awaken. Emily imagines looking down on a young girl who has just died. She lay there as if her life had suddenly left her while she was playing. This life had always intended to return to heaven, but not so soon. The particular morning at the door, instead of waking her up as usual, is working out how to force her to sleep so light, so deep, the sleep of death. So it's about looking at a dead child, which is Emily Dickinson, you absolute fucking goth. Emily, I fucking (laughs) love that. I really like that. I mean, we always knew that Emily Dickinson was a bit morbid. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I fucking love that. That's amazing. Yeah. And a lot of the references that some of the websites are drawing on is that, especially in the time period when Emily Dickinson was alive, it was quite common practice to get photographs of your dead loved ones, especially if you didn't couldn't afford pictures during their life. If a child was taken too soon, quite often you, they would be staged family photos or individual portrait photography of the body of the child so that you would have a lasting portrait of them and you would probably only be able to afford that or choose to pay for that after their death i remember learning about that in school and becoming absolutely obsessed with looking at these pictures of these dead children where they are just like posed in like clothes and like oh my god it's such like a fucking incredibly morbid 
but amazing thing. I've just always been a big goth, clearly. <laughs> mm. The uh, obsession of that time period with death is just really cool because it's probably around the same time that people were really getting into spiritualism and that's really linked to that. It's a lot of the same vibe as people collecting like Memento Mori, which is the whole idea of that is to be reminded of the ever presence of death and it sounds morbid but I think the whole point of it is to like spur you on to live your life to the fullest while you're here because you never know when death is coming and it's like cool 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 uh I'm glad I spend so much of my life laid in my bed looking at TikTok I'm really living it to the fullest <laughs> but yeah a very interesting poem and I completely understand the choice for, for this at the beginning of the chapter especially in terms of like the idea of the morning trying to force the little girl to sleep instead of waking her that's very much like Coulter's presence in the chapter trying to force Lyra to sleep not to die but to sleep I think this is my favourite one so far. And I do apologise if I absolutely butchered the reading of it. <laughs> you say that every week, but I don't think that you do. I just don't know how, like, you know, you see people reading poetry and you're like, gosh, that was evocative. And I'm just like, da 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 it sounds like a nursery rhyme, even though it's about dead babies. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's difficult to read poetry. Um, yeah, it is really difficult, but you're doing a great job. Thank you. I try. I try. <laughs> I try. <laughs> Okay, so let's get into this chapter. We are with Amma, which is great because I'm very excited to be with a character that we haven't really seen from their perspective before. Yeah, definitely. Especially like a little girl, because it's a little bit like we've got, it's a little bit like maybe Lyra's back, do you know what I mean? I feel like if it just, if it was like a man, I'd be like, Ugh. but because it's a little girl, I mean, yeah. Yeah, immediately Amma is thinking about the enchanted sleeper she's thinking about Coulter she's thinking about how she doesn't question any of what Coulter is saying and it's all kind of plays into the admiration that she has the almost worship of the beautiful woman in the cave and her enchanted daughter it's really like harks back to the first book and how the children how Coulter lures the children in how they're so like especially at first like before they are taken to Bolvanger the kids that are being like uh, when they're like crowding around her and she's like speaking sweetly to them and writing their letters before she burns them and like that real like alluring like entrapping sickly sweet fascination that kids have with Coulter is very clear in this and like this chapter is like the journey of the first book of thinking Coulter is sweet and lovely finding out she's a monster but just condensed into like six pages yeah 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 totally <laughs> yeah it also makes me think as well of like Lyra's worship for Asriel back in the day but it is that thing of like having that air of being somehow, you know, the forces that are at play in Mrs. Coulter's backstory are mystical and magical and very like larger than life. And so would be fascinating and seem so big for a child. And it's probably the same for the way that Asriel was this big explorer. It's very larger than life. It's very a character that a kid could easily idolise and get invested in. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Especially because Coulter's obviously assured Amma kindness as well and has started to like develop this relationship with her. Yeah, because we haven't heard about Amma having any like uh, women in her life. We've heard about her dad, right? But we haven't heard about like any. So maybe it's that she is searching for that female role model or whatever, some kind of female presence. The same as Lyra was at the beginning of yeah. There's There's a lot of similarities between Amma and Lyra which is probably why I was so excited 
I just miss Lyra. <laughs> she's thinking about Coulter every time that she's like getting on with her chores and uh, doing all the stuff that she has to do. It sounds like she does a heck of a lot of stuff. We find out that she is eight years old and she is milking sheep and carding wool and spinning and grinding flour and doing all sorts of chores and stuff, which is like, it's a lot. And she also, as an eight-year-old, walks three hours along a trail to get to the next village. Jesus. Just going to go out on a three-hour trek. I'm only eight. It's fine. <laughs> is she eight or nine? Because it says that a little bit later on, it says that she's three years younger than Lyra, who is 12. So that's a nine-year-old. I can't math. <laughs> a I nine-year-old mean... <laughs> walking along a trail. <laughs> Not that it makes much difference, but like I'm also really bad at math. So I was like, have I done a bad math? But no, Rachel's done a bad math. I I did a bad math, definitely. I thought somewhere it said that she was eight, but no, that it was a three-hour journey that I made a note of, and my maths was bad. <laughs> I made notes quite late at night. I have no excuses. I just don't maths. We're not maths people over here. A nine-year-old, even so, a nine-year-old walking three hours to get to the next village is a lot to this monastery, and she, I, again, I love the Lyra that Amara is exuding throughout this chapter because she like. Uh, kind of bribes her way through the people that are like guarding this monastery. She is giving everybody some honey bread to like sweeten them up to her and like getting to where she wants to be and the determination and the like, the way that she goes about this whole thing is just really lovely and very library. Definitely very library. So she wants to see the great healer. I don't know how to say this. Pagzin Tulku. That's based on what I remember the audiobook pronouncing it as. So so I was wondering why the... Do you say Tulku? Tulku or Tuku? Uh, why that bit is in italics. I also wonder, but I wonder if it's... One of them is, I think, his name and one of them is his title, potentially. Yes. So I looked into what that is. So I don't have a lot of information for you, but I have some. I did a very quick courtesy Google and a tolku is, it's Tibetan and it is a reincarnate custodian of a specific lineage of teachings in Tibetan Buddhism who is given empowerments and trained from a young age by students of his or her predecessor. Cool. There you go. That's all I have for you, but gives you a little bit of insight into what it means. Amma visits this guy. He has a bat demon that sweeps around and like makes her demon jump a little bit. I mean, I guess the chapter is called Amma and the Bats for a reason. There are multiple bats in this chapter. Very bold move of Phil to give us this very lively, intelligent, lovely bat at the beginning of the chapter, only to do that to us at the end of the chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I love that she... Again, very Lyra, very boldly. It's just like, I want to gain wisdom. I want to know how to make spells and enchantments. Can you teach me? And he's just like, no, bit rude. <laughs> Fucking rude. It's so clever of her, this bit, to go in. She knows exactly what she's doing. She's going in and saying, can you teach me how to do spells and enchantments? And he's like, no. And then she's like, oh, can you just do this one for me then? Because he knew she knew that he would say no to the bold statement of just teach me how to do spells. And then reining it in a little bit. Because if she'd have gone in and just said, can you do me this one spell or this one enchantment? He probably would have been like, no. It's very clever. Very Lyra of her. Very clever of her. Yeah, you've got to ask mum and dad for an Apple Mac before you ask for an iPhone. <laughs> yeah. Or something along those lines. You've got to ask for the big present and then rein it back into what you actually want. Yes. 
Exactly, exactly. So he's asking lots of questions about why she wants this particular enchantment, Persian, whatever we're calling it. And she's like prepared with all the answers. She's come prepared, which I like. He says that he should see the patient. But then she asks, like, she says, oh, can I just take something back? And he's just like, yeah, all right. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, he's like, I actually need to see the patient and like, blah, blah, blah. And then he just changes his mind straight away when she's like, yeah, but can I just take something back? And he's like, yeah, all right. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's like going to the pharmacist and they're like, you really should go to the hospital with this. And you're like, yeah, but I'm not going to do that. So can you please give me the antibiotics or whatever? And they're like, fine. <laughs> Yeah, but it's just he just gives up so quick. You expect him to be like, absolutely not. I definitely need to see the patient. But it's just like, do you know what? Whatever. <laughs> Fuck it. Who cares? Maybe he's just a bit like contrarian. He's just being stubborn or a bit like, oh, no, I'm not going to teach you this. Oh, no, fine, I'll do this. Oh, I, I would need to see them first. And she's like, but please. He's like, oh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> just putting up resistance so that she doesn't think that she's getting everything she asked for straight away. Do you know what it made me think of? And you're going to love this reference, Rich. It made me think of in Austin Powers. Okay. <laughs> Last from the past. Let's go. I just want to put it on record that Rich rolled her eyes at me. <laughs> so in Austin Powers, I believe it's the second one. Will Ferrell's character has that thing where if you ask him the same question three times, he has to tell you the truth. And it reminded me of that a little bit. Although this guy doesn't even need to be asked three times, just once. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Austin Powers. So many things that you're like, I watched that when I was probably definitely too young of a child to be watching that. And also, if you ever watch it again now, you're like, oh, so, so many problematic jokes. Oh, so my God. It's so, so bad. bad. I really feel like our friendship group is the only friendship group that still quotes Austin Powers. I don't understand why. It's like ingrained into my brain or our brain so much. But it is very problematic now. But <laughs> it's just so hilarious. You just got to skip the awful parts yeah there are some good bits in there i didn't think i'd be talking about austin powers on this podcast episode <laughs> so again Emma is doing a very good lyra isms and she feels that she's lying very cleverly and we get to hear a bit of the logic behind her lying which if, again it feels very much like hearing about lyra spinning tales back in the first book because she explains who the child is that's been afflicted and she explains that it is the son of her father's cousin. She's like, changing the gender means that he's less likely to figure out who it actually is. And that's what, and this is where she guesstimates that the child is three years older than her, which would make them 12. So that if we do maths, 12 take better away than three me is <laughs> eight, no, nine. <laughs> <laughs> which again, this guesstimating Lyra as being about 12 years old, it's very easy to forget that with all we've been through in the last couple of books. I think we're mentally pegging her at more like 13 or 14, potentially, as we're reading. But it does feel like from what she's been through in the last couple of books, she is older than that. Also, don't you don't you feel that like the difference, I mean, I'm just going off like personal experience, but like the difference between the age of 12 and the age of 13 and 14 is huge. Like the growing up you do, the like hit, potentially hitting puberty, all that kind of stuff within that time, because that's when it kind of happened with me. It's It seems like a 12-year-old is a child and like a 13, 14-year-old is obviously, well, is obviously a teenager, but it just the gap, it just seems like you're so much older 
And it's only two, like one or two years in between those ages. It's ridiculous. It's the difference between primary school and secondary school, really. Because I guess you're about 11 or 12 when you leave primary school and start secondary school. So it is that growing up that you do in that um, sudden shift in who who you're interacting with, what you're learning, how old you are. Yeah. I basically love how this potion is made. Uh, he agrees to make the potion for her uh, or be, agrees to make this remedy for her because it's not so much a potion as a powder. His bat demon flits around from like shelf to shelf. It's like he's like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to do this. And then his demon is like, babe, I've got the recipe. <laughs> Watch this. Watch this. And she like flits from shelf to shelf, like pointing at stuff. It's like a memory game. Like I feel like it would be a perfect like level in a game of be like watch the bat go from shelf to shelf and then you've got to remember where they've gone to build the recipe to build the potion or to build the remedy and like I just something about the imagery of this bat being like hey 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 and then the old man being like and like grabbing this bottle down grabbing that one down being like what was the fifth one that she landed that one (laughs) yeah I love that yeah I love it I just love this bat demon oh yeah she is lovely he grinds them up, uh, pops them on a piece of paper where he's written a symbol on the paper before he folds it up. And I wonder if that's all a part of it as well, because he like whispers a spell as he's grinding up these ingredients, pops it on the paper and gives it to Amma and says that she has to put it under the person's nose and gently brush the powder into their nose while they're breathing and not do it too fast because they could choke. It sounds like the gentlest snorting of any substance (laughs) you've ever heard I was literally going to say that. (laughs) Basically, what's the remedy to wake this person up? Oh, get them to snort this powder, but gently. (laughs) Oui. Did this man just make some very medicinal and gentle cocaine that is the question (laughs) yes that is canon now (laughs) the goal is to wake up and i guess that will get you there it would do the trick (laughs) she takes back the package and the next evening she goes back to see mrs coulter and lyra and she's really excited to like tell her what she's done and like give her the medicine like she really wants mrs coulter's praise like she wants that like validation from mrs coulter and i feel that you know mm-hmm. <laughs> notice me senpai <laughs> <laughs> and she also is like oh, and if lyra wakes up if the enchanted sleeper wakes up maybe we could be friends and i'm like oh oh you're so, so cute. cute so like just earnest it's really nice <laughs> it really is yeah uh when she gets there the cave is empty and she's scared that they're gone forever but all their stuff is still there She's only had, so Amma has only had a glimpse of Lyra that one time when we were with her at the beginning of the book and she's not seen her since. So since Mrs. Coulter's not there, she wants to go in and see Lyra and we see that Lyra's still asleep and then she has the idea to, oh, maybe I can wake her up before Mrs. Coulter gets back and we're all like, do it, fucking do it. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Instead, we get this harrowing... (laughs) series of events canal. yeah yeah she hears coulter and the monkey coming and scampers and hides and this entire sequence again so many comparisons between amma and lyra in this it just feels really lyra in the retiring room witnessing somebody about to get poisoned 
Amma in the cave, literally witnessing somebody being poisoned. Both in shit hiding places. Both in shit hiding places and both like somebody they trust or see as a figure of admiration doing the poisoning because Lyra had loads of respect for the master and he was the one trying to poison Asriel. And now Amma thinks so highly of Coulter and then sees her drugging Lyra and like... It's a lovely comparison. And I wonder if, if we were to like carry on the story with Amma, she would have like a similarly cool trajectory to Lyra because it's like the same exact adventure starting point. Yeah, that's very true. Oh, I hope so. I want to see Amma. I mean, she's already badass, but I want to see her being more badass. Yeah, maybe she'll meet like an armoured tiger and some witches and... I don't know. I'm trying to think of like parallels you could have that are like not quite Lyra's journey, but really similar. And like <laughs> a very cool boat sailing person instead of an aeronaut. I was literally just going to say, what if she met a boat dad? Yeah. She's hiding. They're back. The monkey's kind of like, I don't know, being the little monkey prick. <laughs> just, just like, continuing. Just being be. a fucking prick, right? <laughs> And like Amma's demon is scared of of him. I mean, of course, of course. Miss C comes in, she realises that Amma's been, she's left the food and then she starts boiling water and the monkey's wandering around the cave. It's just like, how long is Amma going to be trapped? Like what a horrible feeling knowing that they're like settling in for the night and you're just fucking hiding there. So grim. So whenever Phil talks about Mrs. Coulter and this uh, potion that she is making, this decoction uh he always refers to it as a decoction and i just haven't heard people say decoction that much in a really long time and i you would think concoction is more potiony more remedious so i did just out of the word kind of being like i haven't heard this very much and phil's used it every single time he's talked about culture in this potion or this broth that she's giving to lyra's drink what is the difference between decoction and concoction so i googled it Concoction is a mixture of multiple ingredients, uh, usually liquids, to make the final product. A decoction is when you, specifically when you boil the ingredients in order to extract what you need from them. So like, you could say that tea is a decoction because you're like steeping it in boiling water to get what you want out of the leaves. And that's what Colt is doing here. She's putting ingredients in boiling water to ex- get the extracts from them that she needs. Interesting. So there we go. Just word corner. Word corner. <laughs> Love it. So yeah, Mrs. Coulter is stirring the decoction. Lyra's stirring. Lyra's waking up. And obviously I'm as excited about this, but Mrs. Coulter doesn't care because she must see it like, well, actually, we don't know how long the decoction lasts do we but she sees it a lot basically she sees lyra trying to wake up a lot lyra is like murmuring to herself this whole bit like i really hate it with lyra like trying to wake up and stuff it's fucking horrific and she's like shouting for seraphina for roger Mm, and then like ugh, mrs coulter's like no one here but us her mother said in a sing-song voice half crooning lift yourself and let mama wash you up you come my love mama ew yeah gross do not like that at all yeah it's so sinister and i love this it goes from oh mrs Coulter's so lovely she's so caring Emma talks about how tender she is this tender motherly care that she's witnessed and now you're getting this but it's in contrast to lyra like trying to fight herself awake and 
you just get to see Coulter basically snap and then switch back and it's so unnerving and jarring Lyra's shouting she's asking for Serafina she's asking for she's asking where Roger is she's trying to push her away all of this stuff Coulter's trying to wash her and then trying to get her to drink from this beaker Lyra's shouting and shouting it's this horrible struggle Lyra calls for Yorick and she's like he's gonna rip your head off he's gonna kill you I love how she always goes to bear dad when she wants to threaten somebody it's full-on my dad's gonna beat up your dad it's full-on he'll tear your head off like Yorick where are you help me Yorick and it's like it also breaks my heart because she just wants Yorick there so much oh god and Yorick really would rip Mrs Coulter's head off just imagine this situation and then Yorick bounding through the cave entrance you're just like that's all all I want in this world right now is for Yorick to just bound into the room and be like fuck everybody I'm rescuing Lyra (laughs) (laughs) oh yes so fucking little monkey prick grabs Pan Amma sees Pan changing through different forms and then he becomes a porcupine which is such a fucking good move well done Pan and Amma's really shocked to see She'd never seen a demon change that fast before. And I don't know if that's partly because Lyra's had so much experience fighting now and Pan has flickered through so many forms or whether that's, again, Lyra's, like, always had more imagination than the other kids um, in Oxford and, like, Pan would change into so many different forms and, like, other kids' demons wouldn't change as much as well if that's part of that or if it's just that they've gotten really good at fighting. And in the audiobook, uh, it sounds like they're starting to do a little rap. (laughs) And they're like, the demon flicked from shape to shape more quickly than Amma had ever seen a demon change before. Cat, snake, rat, fox, bird, wolf, cheetah, lizard, polecat. <laughs> nice. nice. And it's, they proper like, they must have done loads of takes together in the audiobook because it's really smooth. But it sounds like they're about to start a rap. I love that. Amazing. <laughs> uh, yes. And then he's a porcupine and the monkey gets some quills in his paws. And that's when Coulter slaps Lyra really hard across the face and before Lyra could do anything to gather her wits together the beaker is in her mouth and she has to drink it otherwise she'll choke it's horrific I fucking hate it so much and I'm gonna read it because like it just gives me like such an angry horrendous feeling in my chest I'm like how fucking dare you I know Colt has been horrible for a majority of these books but we've always been like ooh Big C energy. This is not Big C energy. This is super horrendous. And really one of the points at which you're like, oh, like we knew she was a villain. But this is, this chapter is like makes her villainy so much more like real and harrowing. And like, I'm dreading watching Ruth Wilson having to do this scene because I'm like, no, I want to love you forever, Ruth Wilson. (laughs) Don't make me hate you. How are you going to make this hot? I don't know. (laughs) She's not. It's not hot. It's fucking horrible. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's like Big C Energy is like her fucking kicking ass at the magisterium. Big C Energy is like her fucking... I was going to say taking her prisoners when she literally has one right now. But you know what I mean. Like (laughs) it's that kind of vibe rather than this like horrific violation of somebody's body which is what it is. Saying that, I'm going to read it because it's awful and I want everybody to hear it. (laughs) Mrs Coulter snarled and with her free hand slapped Lyra hard across the face, a vicious backhand crack that threw her flat and before Lyra could gather her wits, the beaker was at her mouth and she had to swallow or choke. Amma wished she could shut her ears. The gulping, crying, coughing, sobbing, pleading, retching was almost too much to bear. 
<sighs> so I fucking hate that so much. It's one of the most difficult things I've had to like read through in these books so far. And a lot of shit has happened in these books, but that something about this situation really fucking hurts my soul. It's the helplessness of it as well for Lyra, because we've seen her being so strong and to see her being treated in this way is just so hard. A quote that I really loved is just Amma thinking, enchanted sleep, poison sleep, drugged, deceitful sleep. And it's like just that is the moment that Amma is turning and being like, no, I've been lied to. This is horrendous. And like, that's her journey. That's her Bolvanger journey is witnessing this moment and being like, and then it's only going to get worse from here. <laughs> and again, Coulter flipping that switch, going straight back to like, and the woman was singing softly, crooning baby songs, smoothing the hair off the girl's brow, patting her hot face dry, humming songs, which even Amma could tell that she didn't know the words to, <laughs> because all she could sing was a string of nonsense syllables. La la la, ba ba boo boo. <laughs> her sweet voice mouthing gibberish. The audiobook is hilarious. I will definitely find a clip of Philip Pullman saying la la la, ba ba boo boo, <laughs> because it's hilarious. It really fucking made me laugh that bit. It really made me laugh that she's just pretending to know this shit. And this is the thing, right? This is now showing us how she doesn't really have those mother-like qualities that she's like performing for the world and when she's performing and for herself really it's not even for the world is it but like she doesn't it, this kind of to me makes it obvious that she doesn't have that within her not that every mum should know a fucking nursery rhyme but like the fact that she's just so uh, she's doing what she thinks she should do as a mum it feels like she doesn't have that instinct or she's like really toy she does have the instinct but she's like really because her nature is evil she doesn't know how to put it across in a way that's not evil. Do you know what I mean? So like she does have that instinct to be a mum to Lyra, but yet she's used that instinct to then keep her in a drugged sleep. Yeah. I don't know that it's necessarily the evilness of it because it's quite black and white, but I think her nature is to control and she is only able to perform that motherly, uh, do that motherly performance, that song and dance with Lyra when Lyra is subdued because otherwise she cannot control Lyra and she only potentially feels comfortable doing that or able to do that when Lyra is unconscious because otherwise she can't control her. So it's this weird thing of like constantly needing control and she can show or like perform these things that I think she wants. I'm sure she wants to be a, a good mother to Lyra or she, that's what she thinks she's doing right now. And so that's why she's singing these songs and doing this like whole situation with performatively doing all of this mothering but the only way in which she can do it is when she has full control of the situation and if she doesn't that's where she snaps that's where she gets the control back by any means necessary which is slapping Lyra and force feeding her this potion but I think it's so much more to do with the control of the situation like she doesn't know how to go about doing it in a good way like I don't think she's deliberately being evil but then also maybe she is because she's slapping somebody and force feeding them stuff. Like, it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. It's definitely not black and white. And maybe evil wasn't the right word to use. But it's just so nuanced that sometimes it's quite difficult to talk about in the sense of like, there's so much going on here that it's like, how do you drill down to every single level of what is going on? Because like, I really do believe that Mrs. Coulter is changing and she does want to be a good mum to Lyra, but she doesn't know what that looks like. She's always 
basically controlled everything and like fought her way to the top in a way that's particularly mm, what's the word I'm looking for ruthless yeah it, yeah so it's like she's got that like ruthless like anger control in her that that's that's the first thing that she goes to when she doesn't get what she wants so obviously Lyra does not want to be anywhere near Mrs Coulter Mrs Coulter then takes that as well I've I've got to get her back now and I'll do that in any means necessary yeah la 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 ba ba boo boo <laughs> please let's lighten the mood <laughs> yes then Mrs Coulter gives Lyra a haircut and saves a little bit of the hair and Amma's like oh I know what she's gonna do with that she's gonna use it for a potion but weirdly she like gives, she like kisses Lyra's hair no thanks don't want hair near my mouth but just another little thing of like oh it seems nice and that no it's all for a reason it's all being a bit sinister leave Lyra's hair alone we love her wild mane yeah exactly yeah she puts it in a locket right yeah, and it's like, is that sentimental? Or like Amma thinks, is it for future use for this potion? We don't know. So this is interesting because we've never had this before. So the golden monkey drew out the last of the porcupine quills and said something to the woman who reached up to snatch a roosting bat from the cave ceiling. We've never seen the monkey torture Coulter before. Yeah. Did he just talk? Did Amma just think he talked? Did they silently communicate? Did he say something? We don't know. We still never actually get to hear him speak. I still love that about him, that he's just this silent little horrible thing with no name. It just says a lot. And then this is a bit which I fucking hate. And I'm just going to pretend that the chapter's over because I don't want to do this bit. Yeah, so I misremembered this. I felt that I had memories of the monkey. It may still happen at another point in the book, so I'm just misremembering forwards or backwards or whatever uh, but I have memories of the monkey snatching butterflies out of the air and pulling their wings off no apparently the thing that I was actually thinking about may well have been this the little monkey prick Coulter literally hands this bat to the monkey like somebody would hand a dog that's getting a little bit uh, agitated or getting a little bit too energetic a chew toy basically here's this occupy yourself and the monkey occupies himself by tearing the wings off the bat. And I don't, I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to read it because it's horrible. The monkey just basically snaps all the parts off this bat and it's horrible. It's horrible to hear. The other bat's flapping around. You're feeling particularly enamoured to bats after the beginning of this chapter being given this like lovely uh, recipe ingredient finding bat. And now we witness the monkey being absolutely atrocious. Again, Amma witnessing this, especially as something that somebody's demon is doing, must be so harrowing. And the entire way through this happening, Coulter is laying moodily on her sleeping bag by the fire and eating a bar of chocolatel, which confirms because earlier in the books we were like, do we think Coulter just offers chocolatel to children? Do we think she actually eats it herself? Now we know she does actually like chocolate, but she's clearly very restrained because she eats it slowly, which is not something that I can do. Yeah, I do not understand. <laughs> Sorry, I've never heard of that before, actually. I imagine it's dark chocolate though, right? Yeah, she's a dark chocolate person, I think. She's bitter. Yeah. She's bitter. <laughs> I think like the bit with her just like fucking laying on the sleeping bag eating chocolatel is the most sinister bit of this interaction just like her monkey literally ripping another living creature like limb from limb and she's just laid there eating some fucking chocolate like she finds it boring or uninteresting or just 
par for the course, just normal that her demon is literally just killing something for fun, for fun, or out of boredom or frustration. Like there is no reason other than the monkey's a bit pissed off that he got porcupine quills in his hand that this monkey is he's literally just taking it out on this bat. It's so horrible. <laughs> it's really fucking horrible. So Mrs. Colton, the monkey fall asleep. And Amma manages to sneak out and she just fucking legs it. And then her and her demon decide they're going to go back when Mrs. Coulter is away and wake Lyra. And I was like, yay, yay, Amma, you do it, girl. Yes, uh, it's really sweet the way that her and her demon talk to each other. Again, similar to Pan and Lyra in the way that they're like having this chat and Amma's like, do we tell my dad? I don't know. And the demon's like, oh, don't tell. It'll get us into more trouble. We've got the medicine and we can wake her ourselves. It's really sweet to see them hatching a plot because, again, it feels very Lyra and Pan. So then we're back with Lyra and Roger in the little dreamscape scenario. And Roger's begging her not to be scared. She says a lot about Roger's character. Like, Lyra is his rock. It's like, if Lyra is scared, then his entire world's going to fall apart. He's like, if I'm, you can't be frightened. Like, I can be frightened, but you cannot be frightened. Don't you cry. If you cry, I'll cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they try to hug, but they can't. The little arms go right through each other. <laughs> and Lyra is like, I feel this of Lyra being like, I'm just, I'm trying to wake up. I'm trying and I'm so scared of being asleep forever. And I just want to wake up. And I just, what if I never wake up and just like panicking about it. But that panicking of being aware that you're asleep and you're trying to wake up, but you can't. Oh, I feel that from every like, uh, you know when you have a, end up having an accidental lie-in because your body's just like no and you're like trying to scramble your way out of sleep and it just feels so horrible sometimes and usually it happens to me when I'm a bit too hot if it's like I've slept under too much duvet and I'll have, I have like a fever, fever dreams when I get too warm in bed and then you feel like you're constantly just sinking into the covers and you can't escape, you can't get out of sleep. Like, I hate it. It's very um, it's very sleep paralysis vibes again, which is horrendous. But also just that I'm just trying to wake up. I'm so afraid of sleeping all my life and then dying. I want to wake up first. In my brain, it seems very metaphorical, metaphorical as well for like, you know, living your fucking life like I don't want to be asleep forever I don't want to be like this person that I maybe don't want to be forever like I need to wake up I kind of got that that vibe from it as well I don't think maybe I don't think Lyra's saying that but I think you can read it in in that way Roger's scared and he's like if you're dreaming and you wake up you might forget about us you might just think it's only a dream you might not think this is real and again we finish on a broken sentence of Lyra being like no uh, no she said fiercely and and what, Phil? And, and what? what? <laughs> and what? Oh, and the, yeah, that's the end. That's the end of that chapter. It's not my favourite chapter, just because it was fairly traumatic reading about that part. At the same time, though, it's a really good chapter. It is a good chapter. Like, it is a good chapter. Like, it's not... I kind of mean it in a way that, like, it's not my favourite chapter because it's very traumatic, but then that also makes it a good chapter at the same time, if that makes sense. It's not like it was a boring chapter or anything like that. It was like a really good chapter in terms of like spending more time with Mrs. Coulter and having that like what you mentioned, like the parallel between like Lyra and Amma and that journey was really good and and very like condensed in a, in a way that like Phil did well to like put that into like four pages or whatever that chapter was. It's a, another 
similar to the last chapter with uh, Yorick and Serafina, it kind of feels like just a little character exploration moment where it's like, new book, you might have forgotten who everybody is and why we love them or why we find them scary. We're going to have some little short, sharp chapters that remind you why we fucking love Yorick and Serafina and why Coulter is scary as fuck. I really like that. Yeah, like new book, who diff, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. And Coulter's response to who diss is like... Well, let me fucking show you who this let is. Let me tell you. <laughs> Have you ever heard of Big C Energy? Because this is not it right This now. is not it. This is not it. Do you have an award to give out? My award is uh, for the bat demon and her recipe choosing skills in part because I just needed to give an award to a bat this week. <laughs> it's a very bat filled week this week in the podcast. We've both got bat demons because, and, and now we're giving, I'm giving an award to a bat. Who are you giving an award to? Do you know when you were saying it's a very bat batty week for the podcast, I've also been waiting for fucking ages for gregs to bring out their fucking bat biscuits when are they coming back when are they coming back is it now oh i thought you were gonna give me the good news no i don't know i i keep checking every day rich i keep checking every day i just love them so much you're doing the good work i am i will (laughs) let you know hopefully when this podcast comes out they will i will have a bat biscuit in my hand anyway my award is for (laughs) anna yeah yeah what a brave kind person she is I'm just so down for her and I would love to like scoop her up and give her a little cuddle, tell her how great she is. I would love for her and Lyra to be friends, <laughs> just like Emma wants. Yes, yes, <laughs> me too, me too. Do you want to know the name of the next chapter? I do. It is called The Adamant Tower, not to be confused with The Adam Ant Tower. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even think of that and now that's just going to be like in my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of adamant, we're adamant, but you review us. Excellent. (laughs) Did you like that segue? Yes, yes, I did. We are still running our review giveaway, whereby if you leave us a review, preferably a positive one, definitely a positive one, and send us a screenshot of that review, it counts as your entry into a prize draw. When we hit 50 entries, we'll draw 10 names from a hat, 10 of you will get some super cool bookmarks, and one of those 10 people will get the up-to-date sticker merch pack. So... Please do drop us a review and email it over to us at herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com. Woohoo! Yeah, give us five stars, say nice things. And if you don't want to leave a review or you can't, tell your friends about us, give us a shout out on social media, spread the word, spread the good His Dark Materials word, Her Dark Materials word, His Dark Materials word, Her Dark Materials word. Both of them. Our Dark Materials. <laughs> Everybody's Dark Materials. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod. And you can email us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rich. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. 
I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about how much I love bats, you can find me talking about Paramore on my other podcast, Still Into You. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts and find us on Twitter and Instagram at Still Into You Pod. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about how fucking scary Mrs. Coulter is, I'm making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at Rachmakes, on Twitter and TikTok at Rach underscore makes, and over in my online shop, rachmakes.co.uk. Huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well. Hug a bat hug or a something. Bat. I'm fine. I'm gonna go find a bat and I'm gonna hug it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't hug bats, they're endangered. <laughs> <laughs>